If you've been following Fergus and I for a while, it'll be no surprise we're totally obsessed with gut health. And this really stems from the transformative experiences we've each had with practitioners whom took a gut-first approach to helping us solve our biggest health issues. Today, we're delighted to share the science behind it all in our chat with nutritional therapist Claire O'Brien. We speak with Claire about why the generation today are experiencing more gut health issues compared to our parents and what we can do to give our gut the best chance. Claire also reveals the real truth behind foods we all know and love and what they're actually doing to our insides. You might be surprised. Claire, welcome to the Patient Paradox podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Fergus and I are so excited about this episode. Um, For anyone that's listened already to some of the episodes this season, we are talking about the gut time and time again. Um, It's something that we are really passionate about through our own experience. Um, And having worked with nutritional therapists and functional medicine doctors like yourself, um, so I'd love to start the podcast by asking what may be kind of controversial question, but uh, when I talk to my friends about my experience with nutritional therapy and a nutritional therapist, they often compare it to an experience they might have had with someone who's done a nutritional course and works in a gym or a nutritionist. And I know it is a space that there are lots of different qualifications and roles and people. Could you explain for us what a nutritional therapist is and how it might differ to some of those other practices? Yeah, of course. So um, a nutritional therapist to me is somebody who applies nutrient compounds in a therapeutic way for a particular outcome. Um, And we would go through at least three years of training, kind of 200 hours of clinical therapy before we go out into the world and work on our own, unsupervised with anyone. Um, It's a little bit different to, I suppose, what you're looking at in a gym, which tends to be around like macronutrients and building particular kind of lean muscle and and that kind of thing. Um, not that that's all they do. Like there's loads of people doing good work um, in that space as well, around like hormones and PCOS and stuff like that as well. Um, so typically those would be six to 12 week courses. So a little bit shorter and um, that goes alongside PT training. And then a nutritionist from a dietetics kind of point of view would be somebody who's done some training but isn't um, a dietitian who would be qualified to implement a plan that a dietitian has created rather than create the plan and then implement it themselves. Okay. Interesting. So the outcome being the the health outcome. So like you would have clients come to you with various different health concerns and through nutrition, you put a plan in place to kind of overcome whatever their health challenges are. Um, so you find, I'm assuming with your clients, it's very much process driven. It's not, you know, aligned with maybe the typical process with the GP where you ring them up, you book an appointment, you arrive once, uh, you're given potentially a medication or whatever that might be, and then you're sent off. This is very much process driven. Yeah, absolutely. So it is a consultation process. It does follow the functional medicine model where we look at like your complete medical history from like in the womb um, right up to the present day. We're looking at all of the different systems in your body, how they're interacting, where something might have kind of 
you know, derailed and we want to try and encourage it to come back on track and do what the body does best. Like given the right resources, most bodies can heal themselves. So we're just trying to give them the right resources to get them back on track, whatever the kind of group of symptoms are. We're not looking at like a diagnosis or a label, but we're looking at all those symptoms to see what can we do to bring them back online? Is there like a nutrient that could help that or is there a deficiency um, that is happening that is causing something in particular? Um, and because I suppose it's holistic, um, it's a person approach. So it's not like a set, like this is my list of supplements for like people with reflux and this is the list for people with ulcerative colitis and, you know, this is the people with SIBO, this is the exact list that they need to follow. It is like, what are your symptoms? How is your body reacting? And then it's checking in with them to see like, how is that progressing? Is it going back to exactly where we want it to be or is it going faster than we expected or slower than we expected what symptoms aren't resolving and how can we encourage like a little bit more health and well-being um in the like traditional sense of like I feel good and I have loads of energy and I can't wait to go out and I'm full of joy and happiness yeah, <laughs> yeah. that functional medicine approach is something we're a huge advocates of the initial part of it of getting to the root causes and as you say you take the history all the way back and um, that's probably one of the big differences I suppose from the process with going into the GP unfortunately the way the system's set up the GPs only have 15 minutes uh, a lot of the time with patients so it's very difficult for them to get to the root cause of issues and um, also from what, what you're saying your process probably it's not a one appointment and done thing. It's it's more of a program or how on average, how long would you uh, work with a patient to from identification to, you know, hopefully getting them to a better place? Like ideally it would be, you know, at least three months where you'd be working together and kind of implementing incremental changes. So it's not completely overwhelming. Um, and then some people, you know, need a lot longer than that as well. Depends on how much they have been like experiencing a lot of symptoms and for how long. And um, sometimes they like the safety blanket of knowing that you're there if they mm. need you as well. Um, but I think realistically, like we've all come from an industry that wasn't wellness originally. Mm. Um, we know what it's like to have a busy life, to be commuting, to be busy all day, to be running to meetings, to skip lunch or survive on like the fruit in the canteen um, and coffee, driving everything else. Um, so it needs to be like slow, steady habit forming changes because mm. this is a lifestyle approach. It is a lifelong approach for a lot of people. For some people it is, you know, I have this particular thing growing in my gut and I need to kill it off and then I'll be well. For other people, it's more of a systemic thing and they need to kind of stick to a program for for life. Um, and I don't mean like limiting program, like I don't mean going on a low FODMAP diet for the rest of your life. I mean, you know, eating well most of the time, looking after yourself, drinking water, exercising, that kind of thing. Mm. Something I found really interesting from going through the process um, and what I learned was how connected a lot of these symptoms are that you wouldn't normally, as someone from the outside, mm -hmm. put together. So, for example, I had really bad hay fever and my nutritional therapist put me on a low histamine diet. But a huge part of that process was healing the gut mm -hmm. to heal my um, my reactions. Um, with your process 
does it always start with the gut, no matter who comes in the door? Or does it vary depending on their symptoms that they present with? A lot of it is coming from gut first because it's the foundation of all other things. So if you're not absorbing nutrients, we can't apply nutrients therapeutically. So you have to be able to digest food and you have to be able to process that. Um, But for some people, it is more gallbladder, liver support, um, like in the histamine, you're trying to calm down the immune system reaction you're trying to maybe if you've excess estrogen you mm-hmm. have more binding of histamine as well and that can bring you down a particular route of you know liver support and things like that but at the core of everything like gut is foundational is where most of our immune system live it's where you know a lot of the signals to the brain of whether we're okay or not or whether systems are online or not online um, is going back to yeah, I think gut health now, thankfully, is becoming more mainstream. It's yeah. more topical. But I think if you dig a little bit deeper with people and you ask them what the gut is and what it does, like the the knowledge s- stops there. Um, for people, it's important, I think, that people from this podcast, they can maybe identify with certain symptoms they may be having and make that connection that it actually could be their gut. I think that's important. So yeah. from the, the patients that you see, what are the common symptoms that they present with that are gut related? Um, so there's a load of referred pain that happens with gut problems. And I'm sure you both have experienced a lot of those symptoms. So like bloating would be a very obvious one. Um, change in bowel movements would be another one that we'd really want to check out um, pretty much straight away. Um, pain under the ribs, um, pain in the mid back, um, kind of for women along the bra line, um, pain in the shoulders and neck, um, difficulty going to sleep or staying asleep would be another one. Um, it's common in IBS to get a lot of pain in your knees, um, which people would not like think, oh, that's my gut. <laughs> okay. um, and it, if your liver um, isn't happy or if you've got too much iron and stuff, you can get a lot of Achilles um, injuries as well. So you might keep twisting your ankle or having really tight calves and you can't do your gym workout um, and exhaustion and irritability um, anxiety would be another like big thing. Um, so if you go back to that kind of like idea that the gut sends signals to your brain all the time, your gut is telling your your brain constantly, like, I'm not happy, there's something wrong, there's a danger here. And then your brain spends all day trying to find out what that danger is and where it's coming from. So is it like on your phone? Are you like you know, refreshing your Instagram feed or your TikTok feed constantly because you're trying to figure out is the danger there? Is it the emails? Is it like in the environment? Um, so there's a huge amount of information going from your gut to your brain that says like, we're scared, there's something wrong. Like figure out the danger and get us to safety. Um, and that can present as a lot of anxiety and irritability and lack of sleep, as well as like a lot of tension and tension pain. Okay, there's a long list there, isn't yeah. there? That <laughs> a lot of people they, they would never think that that's that could be connected to a gut related problem, um, and it's it's something we talk about a lot. Is this the mind body connection? Um, and there's been there's been a divide for a long time. Thankfully, a lot of research is is coming out now that shows the connection between the gut and brain, and shows why the gut is is presenting as a lot of these symptoms. So. 
if you take it, someone comes in with fatigue or irritability or inflammation, you probably kind of know straight away this this is a, a gut-related issue. How do you go to, what's your process to dig deeper on that to see actually what, what may be happening within the gut? So a lot of it is around questioning. Um, and I did go and um, study to be a coach as well. Okay. So that, you know, it's that kind of therapeutic style of talking um, so that, you know, the questions and layers of questions kind of come up and reveal kind of more history. Um, I'd also use a lot of testing um, in my clinic as well. So it's not necessary for every person, but if you're not getting the results that you should be getting, um, things like stool testing, um, doing things like SIBO testing, which would be a breath test. Um, SIBO, could you yeah. explain SIBO for... Um, so SIBO is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. There's also um, in like methane type there's two types of methane in the large intestine or um, you could have an overgrowth of hydrogen in your small intestine so they're basically bacteria that would be healthy in other places don't belong where they are and then are overgrowing and that can go on for years and years and years where you feel really bloated and really tired and maybe it gets to a crescendo point where you're like I can't even like stand up in a meeting because I'm so bloated or I can't eat all day if I'm out in the office because, you know, I'll be really bloated and I'll be running to the toilet. And what if I break wind and everybody's looking at me and, you know, there's people surviving on like glasses of water for the entire day, afraid to eat in their office um, and stuff like that, like with pain and migraines could be part of SIBO mm. as well. Um, and it just doesn't go away. Um, sometimes you might be on a course of antibiotics for something else and that will make you feel better. And then you know that it's, you know, there's a problem with bacteria overgrowth if antibiotics make your stomach feel better. Um, but there is testing and like it's easy to resolve, but some people live with it for 10 plus years. Okay. What causes SIBO in the first place? Like why are the bacteria growing in a place that they shouldn't be? So it can happen after um, gastritis, it can happen after abdominal surgery. So even things like, you know, C-section birth um, or cosmetic surgery, it can happen if you've had like, um, like an infection or if you've had food poisoning, then it can kind of shift down through. Okay. And how yeah. common is it? Um, they estimate that up to 87% of people with IBS actually have SIBO. Wow. So the conservative estimate is around 47% of people with IBS and then the like other papers would say up to 83%. Okay, so that's the main one you're looking for mm, when people yeah. present it. So it's that bacterial overgrowth. When I had my health issues, um, the I went through this approach, the functional medicine approach, and it was identified that I actually had a leaky gut. Mm. So on one side, we have these bacterial overgrowths and then Leaky gut, as I understand it, that's the lining of the stomach has become damaged. Could, could you uh, speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. So leaky gut would be another common thing. I had leaky gut when I went to see a nutritional yeah. therapist before I was one. Um, and it is like we should have these really tight junctions in our gut that are really smooth, that produce a lot of energy and allow nutrients to kind of flow through. In a leaky gut, though, it was kind of like cleave open and it allows food particles into your blood. And then your immune system will come along and tag it and say, like, this shouldn't be here. Mm. And maybe they'll engulf it and you'll get a lot of inflammation. And then the next time you eat, your gut might not be leaky and you might be fine with that food. And then the next time after that, you eat it and your immune system has a big response to it. 
um, and it causes a lot of other like knock on issues around like energy. So um, we have these cells in our gut called enterocyte cells and that produce a lot of energy and allow us to have healthy like um, stomach acid balance, healthy bacteria, the right pH for like enough acidity to kill off bugs, but not so much that it upsets you. Okay. Um, so it can kind of develop from there. Um, and we really want to, in functional medicine, I suppose, seal up that gut again so that it's nice and healthy and it's doing what it should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm actually really interested to ask about IBS as a term because yeah. I feel like it's one of those things that's like bandied around. I know I was definitely guilty of it myself. Um, before I worked with my nutritional therapist, I used to have what I called IBS attacks where basically I'd have to run to the toilet in that moment. Um, very unpleasant. Um, For me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fergus had to pull over like on the side of the road a few yeah. times. <laughs> yes, dodgy, dodgy moments. Yeah, not good. Um, but so I labeled them my IBS attacks and I just went on, went on with the life and accepted it uh, until a point where I was like, no, no, I can't accept this anymore. But even just in my conversations with my friends and with the girls, I'd hear people saying IBS a lot. Um, they probably don't have IBS, but could you actually define that for us? Yeah, so IBS is irritable bowel syndrome. It is a group, like a set of symptoms, um, mostly around like cramping and pain and changes either constipation, diarrhea or mixed type. Um, Often it can be a differential diagnosis. So what that means is they look, do you have Crohn's? Do you have ulcerative colitis? Do you have something else going on with your gut? And if like your colonoscopy and endoscopy are clear, they're like, oh no, it's IBS. Um, But it's a little bit more complicated than that. It is very much defined. There is certain bacteria that do overgrow in IBS that don't appear in IBD. So it is a real condition. Like Mm. I'm not saying that like, you know, it doesn't exist when I talk about SIBO. It's not that your IBS isn't real. Mm. Um, It just sometimes gets mislabeled because it's done through like a checklist of like, well, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. So it must be this. But there are actual tests that you can do to see if Mm. you have IBS. Yeah, gut testing is a something that we've done a couple of times well interesting when we tell people that you've had to keep your stool sample in the fridge um, that's normally where the conversation ends and (laughs) and they find that weird Um, what 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 are the most common tests you use and what are you trying to prove or disprove from them is it all to do with the bacteria or just the the real makeup of the gut is it yeah so there's different levels of testing that you can do and different price points as well to make it more affordable for people and I suppose what you would do in a a test for a stool test where you're not really sure what's going on or where there's a history of other family members with and like ulcerative colitis or diverticulitis or something would be looking more at the structural stuff. So, you know, the leaky gut stuff The like, is there like calprotectin levels that are high? Is there, you know, immune system dysfunction? Is there like a change in the acid? Is there um, enough digestive enzymes there? Like in looking at elastase, is there inflammation in there? And then the other side of it is looking at the microbiome makeup. So is the bacteria right? Is there enough of the good guys? Not too many of the neutral guys or the bad guys. You're looking at like, is there anything living off you, like any parasites, protozoa, any worms or flukes or any of those lovely things Mm. that I talk to people about all the time. Mm. (laughs) That always comes up on my TikTok these days. I don't know what it is. I follow this clinic and they video 
well, what they say is the parasites coming out of their clients when they do colonics. And it is terrifying. Oh, um, But like we can pick up parasites just going for a swim. Mm. Um, When we talk about like blastocysts and stuff like that would be common in Ireland. Um, It's not necessarily going on holidays to like Asia and drinking the water. It can happen in old pipes in Ireland just as much. Um, It can happen like in old buildings from the 1800s that don't have new pipes put in. It might be somewhere where you work. It could be like agricultural runoff. It could be contaminated water. Like you'll see beaches closed for E. coli outbreaks and stuff like that. So Mm. it can come from lots of different places. I know like patients are obviously their symptoms are very um, individualistic to them and, and they differ. But say from a SIBO perspective, What's the common intervention for that? Is it a diet related thing? Is it a supplement? Yeah, there's um, so there's different options. You can do um, like a biphasic diet, which is two phases of um, like a low FODMAP and specific carbohydrate diet um, that is limited to start and then expands out with um, herbs alongside that for, you know, things like berberine that people are, are used to um, or like different things like garlic or organo to kind of kill back the, the bacteria that's overgrowing without doing too much damage to the rest of the good bacteria. Um, you can also do something called the elemental diet, which is really hardcore. Okay. <laughs> so an elemental diet is like drinking specific um, meal plan kind of um, shakes. So it's a protein powder, maybe with some MCT oil added in. That's like nutritionally complete. So there's protein, fat, carbohydrates, loads of vitamins in it. And you have to drink it really, really, really slowly Mm. um, because there's nothing in it that your body can't absorb. So you will go to the loo straight away if you drink it quickly. (laughs) Um, So it works really, really well. It's like a complete gut rest. And they've shown that like it is better, more effective than um, antibiotics is. Um, It's better again if you either do herbs or antibiotics plus um, the dietary intervention, whether that's the biphasic or the elemental diet. I wouldn't do an elemental diet by yourself. So like it's better, like it really should be done under supervision Mm. because you need somebody to know you're doing it, to talk you through it Mm. and to bring you through the hard days. And it's not a long term thing. It's only ever for like seven to 10 days maximum. And it's not suitable for anybody who's ever had like disordered eating of any kind. From my own experience, I would recommend anyone that thinks they might have these kind of issues to to always work with someone like yourself anyway, because um, obviously it is a process. But I feel like online, like, you know, I think you even tried one of them, Fergus, but there's these like order your online stool test kit and you do it and then this company interpret your results on your behalf and they just send you this like lovely glossy piece of paper of all the foods you need to avoid. Um, But you're missing out on so much of the process there. And that was so evident to us because we both did uh, the process at the same time. Fergus went online and ordered one of those kits. I went through the nutritional therapist. We did the consultation, the stool test with Genova and like the interpretation of that. But also then the... The interventions, as you mentioned, like it's so much longer term, but the practitioner can advise supplements or other routes that maybe you wouldn't have access to in the in the wider kind of, say, health food store or pharmacy space. 
Um, would you agree? I guess you probably yeah, would. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also think there is a danger in just ordering things or looking at things on TikTok or looking at yeah. things online yourself, because I have seen a lot of people with like a complete undergrowth of good bacteria because they've been self-dosing with things like neem. Mm. Um, so like herbal antimicrobials, which work the same as antibiotics and do kill off your good bacteria as well as your bad. Yeah. So those symptoms can be as severe or even more severe. So you might not have had a bacteria overgrowth to start with, and then you end up with no lactobacillus or bifido. So all the heavy lifting guys, the ones that break down your food and allow you to like absorb it. Um, and then the bloating is really severe and you feel awful. So that kind of like sterile gut is also a problem that I see quite a bit where people have been overdoing it um, mm. through looking at things online. Yeah. Is it easy to identify without the testing where whether someone might have SIBO, so the bacteria overgrowth, or actually mightn't have enough bacteria, good bacteria mm. in their gut? It's through kind of case history. So if they yeah. tell you that they've been taking a lot of like herbal antimicrobials, okay. they probably are low. If you have SIBO, you will also be either low in lactobacillus or in uh, a weird thing called acromansia, which is neither a bacteria nor anything else. It's ancient, it's older than we are. Mm. Um, so there is like through case history, you'll find out for the most part, but you'll see it in the stool sample. Yeah, well. the testing, like it is expensive, as you mm. say, but this is a long-term investment in your health. Um, I couldn't recommend it enough that just to get that picture, that in-depth picture of actually what's going on in your gut. Then you really can get targeted with your interventions, and and yeah, it's it just sets you up in a much better position to to improve. I have a. Um a quiz on my website, which isn't a diagnostic, but it just gives you an idea as to whether it might be SIBO or not. Um, so you can just fill that out and it will tell you like a score, how likely it is that you should get a SIBO test or not. Okay. So is it worth the investment? Oh, that's amazing. That's such a helpful tool. We'll definitely share that, um, the link to your website at the end of the podcast. Um, so Claire, I'm really interested to know from your perspective, like it seems like our generation more so than ever before are complaining about gut or IBS or, you know, intolerances and allergies. Um, my mum says it to me all the time. She's like, when we were growing up, we never had any of these yeah. issues and you guys are talking about it all the time. Oh, no, that's it. Yeah. We're going soft. <laughs> we're, there, there's, got to be, there's got to be more than it to, to it than that. Yeah, yeah. From your perspective, like, why do you think that is? Um, I suppose there is a huge change in environment. Um, so we have a lot more kind of toxins in our environment. We have a lot more additives in our food. It's not very clear cut what's a healthy food and what's not a healthy food anymore. Mm. There's a lot of processed foods that we're ingesting that we don't even realize aren't healthy. We're marketed at way more for mm. way longer than any other generation previously would have been. Um, we also have much more busy, stressful lives um, than ever before. And things are constantly changing. Um, and one thing I suppose we've all just lived through a huge pandemic that we're, we were very keen to forget happened, mm. but our body knows happened. So there is also that kind of element to it too. So this, mm. there's no doubt like the environment we're living in is a lot more stressful. The demands are, are higher. Mm. Is there... A proven connection between stress and, and gut health, and how is how is stress affecting the gut? 
So there, we've taken all that stressful information and our body will say like now is not a good time to rest, rejuvenate and digest. It is time to like, you know, go, 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 run away, like maybe fight, maybe flee, maybe freeze. Um, so when you're doing that, you're not going to be digesting as well. Um, and your body has kind of two options of like wait until later. Um, and that usually slows down motility and you might get constipation or just a lot of bloating or it might be like get rid of everything. We can't deal with it now. Um, so that definitely happens um, a lot. And then we produce a lot more cortisol as well when we're stressed. And that has a huge inflammatory effect. So that means it's really hard for us to get the value out of the nutrients that we're eating as well. Okay. And when it comes to intolerances, like some common ones that come up for us, and we we speak about it all the time really is lactose and and gluten obviously two very different things um but should humans be eating those things or consuming those things there's very few um adults who can break down lactose efficiently um, so we're not really designed to have lactose after the age of five. We wouldn't have been breastfed past the age of five. So we're not used to having milk. Um, past so those the age pints of, of milk after dinner, that's what's, yeah. that's what's causing all my issues. It's <laughs> <laughs> behind it all. Um, but like, you know, it's a nutritionally balanced food if you can break it down well. If you can't, it's very inflammatory. The protein um, as well is very inflammatory besides the sugar or the lactose. Um much better off with like a sheep or goat's milk alternative mm. as well because there's lower levels of lactose or they're lactose free and the protein is easier for us to break down and digest as well. So if you're feeling kind of constipated or if you're hormonal, it's a good thing to kind of either go lactose free or just look at like goat's or sheep's milk alternatives. Or if you're doing it for like environmental or ethical reasons, if you're going for like nut milks and things like that, just check the ingredients mm. Um, avoid like palm oil. It's really bad for your heart. Um, it's very bad for the orangutans and the environment too. Mm. Okay. Um, and just look at like the gums and stuff that they're putting in in order for that to happen. So there's other brands that are maybe fortified or might have just those plain ingredients. Like it's just, you know, water and almonds and salt or like, you know, oats and water and salt. And mm. that's it. What Simple. about cheeses? Are they all the same or can we digest some better than others? Yeah, we can definitely um, tend to digest like hard cheeses more easily and um, they can be probiotic as well. Um, and then when I say to people eat goats and sheep's milk or cheese, they kind of go, ah, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then I say like, you do eat halloumi, you do eat feta and, you know, they are yeah. made of those milks. So true. Um, and we also have mozzarella on our pizzas and stuff. So, you know, that's usually buffalo mozzarella. So it's not coming from cow either. So okay. there is loads of options that we're used to. And then um, one of my favorites would be Manchago because it's very like cheddar um, and you can buy an Aldi and Little and Super Value <laughs> and Tesco and Duds and everywhere. Um, so all the supermarkets. And then um, you can grate that and melt it and it tastes the same. It doesn't smell of goat. Super. And then gluten then. Yeah, so gluten is a difficult one because we have a huge amount of celiacs in Ireland. And if you're newly diagnosed celiac, you're probably lactose intolerant too. And um, we also have a lot of people with non-celiac uh, gluten intolerance as well. And um, so as a nation, I don't know whether it's the environment um, and we just have to have like really sturdy grains to survive in our damp weather. Um, but we do have difficulty but not everybody is gluten intolerant. Um, gluten does kind of 
make your gut more leaky. It does attach to the immune system cells and excite them and, and cause them to behave differently. But that's not for everybody. Um, but I suppose the main thing is if you're taking out gluten that you're looking at, like, what are you putting in? So is the gluten free bread like the milk full of like nasty gums? Is it full of loads of preservatives? Mm. Is it full of loads of additives? Or is it actually really healthy and well made from your like a local producer? Mm. Yeah, I think it's really hard for people um, mm. when they're looking at these alternatives. I, I just think they're there's just a lack of education and it's no fault of anyone's that they're being sold these products that they think Mm. is a really healthy alternative. But when they look at the ingredients, they don't know to look out for these things that are having, having an adverse effect. So you mentioned a couple of them there. Yeah. Yeah, There's the gums, any types of preservatives. What, What are the things maybe in the fine print should people be looking out for? Like xanthan gum would be one of the big ones. Um, You'll see maltodextrin as well as another like preservative. Um, A lot of people like when you get those like fajita kind of spice mixes, Mm. they have anti-clumping agents in that and that's going to irritate the lining of the gut no matter how healthy you are. Um, So there's loads of those kind of like additives in there um, some like magnesium stearate can irritate people for some people like it's just the combination and the like the amount of them um, and like palm oil actually does make me feel sick personally but that wouldn't be a very common reaction but it's like it's a very difficult oil for your body to deal with and break down and it's not great for your heart mm. yeah yeah there really is it's like information overload isn't it out there um, but like another reason why I'm so pro this process of working with a nutritional therapist is instead of like trying to Google this and that and figure everything out yourself, like the nutritional therapist will identify what are foods that you're eating more common and like what are some simple swaps or easy ways that we can change this to just enhance the nutritional value and benefit your health overall. Um, there were some definitely eye-opening things that maybe we were eating that like uh, didn't realize were were affecting my health. But also what was interesting is there were a lot of foods that were traditionally healthy, like tomatoes that maybe were irritating me as well, mm-hmm. um, which was so interesting. So Claire, we we actually have a bit of a quick fire round. Fergus is excited about this. I know he is. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just, uh, yeah, just to get your thoughts on a couple of different foods. So whether they're good, bad, indifferent and why. Um Actually, the first, uh, I grouped them, nut milks. You kind of referenced them there. Um, I'm certainly using an almond milk. A lot of people are moving away from the lactose. Mm. Nut milks in general, are they good or bad? Which one would you be going for? Um, I would check the sides of the milk. I know there's this xanthan gum gum in the bloody almond milk. Um, Like it's in all of them. So there are some are that some? don't have any additives. Okay. In. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I don't know if I can name names, but um, Innocence yeah, no, would be one. Yeah. Um, like the Tesco own brand oat milk actually has like iodine and B12 in it. And okay, I think I the last that time one. I checked didn't have any xanthan gum in okay. it. Um, yeah. The big one for me that I think a lot of get people get fooled by is the, if it doesn't say unsweetened on it, it means it's there's sugar, sugar. has been put mm. into the nut milks. And like, 
that's that can be like three grams of sugar for every hundred mil. Like, you know, so mm. if you think you have a glass of that or you put it in a smoothie, you're talking over 10 grams of sugar. So that's one thing really, I think, to look out for. Yeah. Within the nut milk category then, would almond be your preference or like oat yeah. milk is a big one people have in their coffees? What's your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, and like oat milk, there would be cross-reactivity if you have a gluten problem. Yeah. So if you do have a gluten problem, stay away from the oat milk as well. Almond would be the next best one. And I would use like if you, like men can get away with more soy than women can and um, just from a hormonal kind of point of view. But you really want to check where that soy is coming from as well. So I think they're the two better options of, of the two. Mm. Coffee. I actually think that coffee can be really helpful before a workout. Um, it's fine kind of mid-morning. Um, there's some people that really process coffee really well and it has no impact on them and it can be an antioxidant for them. And then there's people who have like a genetic disposition to hold on to that caffeine and it disrupts their sleep and it makes them really jittery. It does excite your nervous system. So it is going to give you that like little caffeine buzz. So you need to make sure that it's not with away from food and not first thing in the morning when mm. your cortisol levels are climbing. It needs to be when they're on the way down or just before you're about mm. to go dance or work out or something. Is, is coffee high in fibre as well? Or did I just make that up? <laughs> um, it depends on the coffee okay. um, and depends on what they're doing to the coffee. Right, okay. Yeah. How is it on the gut? Um, it can be okay. Like mm. it can definitely stimulate like bowel movements if yeah. you're kind of, you know, uh, if you already have a nervous system reaction, then, you know, coffee is going to make that worse and mm. um, if you're feeling really calm and really chilled and coffee doesn't really affect you you might still have like a bowel like stimulation effect even though you feel like there's nothing okay mm. yeah the the next one I had was around sweeteners like yeah. such as sugar low so I think that's from what I understand that's terrible for the gut lining yeah it is like added sugar is not something that we ever would have experienced in our natural environment, it would have been something that we would have come across like very seldomly, like if we met some bees and found that they had some honey or if we got like got some beets and we ate them and there was like sugar in it. Um, and because of that, it's really addictive to us. So we can't stop ourselves really from having it once we kind of get a taste for it. Um, and they like the sweeteners also send a signal to the brain like your saliva is detecting sweetness and then there is no sugar. So the body can easily become confused by that as well. And they've done studies where they've shown that like for people with diabetes or insulin resistance, it actually has a very negative effect. It can actually make them, you know, search for sugar more than if they actually had sugar in the first place. So like really limiting that and like maybe going for a more natural thing like, a, you know, an organic or local honey that will actually have some probiotic effects mm. and do some good. Okay, I think that's great advice. It's just another thing for people to look out for because I feel with these energy drinks, they've already copped on to it that initially they were full of sugar. Mm. Now they're going for these clean energy drinks. You know, the sugar's gone, but it's packed full of these sweeteners. Like, you, you know, when you drink this stuff anyway, how, how could that be good for my bacteria? Mm. Yeah. Um, like, you know, uh, you know, it's quite corrosive nearly with the taste of it. But the fact that these sweeteners are in there and they can damage your gut lining. And we both know from personal experience yeah. the problems that can happen when your gut lining is damaged. Damaged. Yeah, it's just, again, for people to be aware, to add it to that list of things to keep an eye on when you're looking at at 
products to buy in the, the shop. It's hard to get them without it. That's yeah, the problem. That's the problem. Mm. And like with those energy drinks as well, like they can cause a lot of like racing heart and palpitations and that sell, sends a lot of stress and anxiety signals to your body as well. Um, and they put taurine into it to help calm it down so that if you drink like way too many energy drinks, you won't actually have a heart attack because the taurine's there. Oh my God, that is insane. <laughs> yeah, I've I've actually heard of a lot of drinks, um, various drinks come out that are like energy boosting, you know, improves focus, um, but then subsequently has these calming ingredients in them too. So it's obviously a little bit contradictory. Um, but Claire, I'm really interested to know for some of our listeners who maybe actually don't have like major gut issues, uh, say they're the every person, they're relatively healthy, mm-hmm. um, but still should, you know, maintain um, a healthy diet and, and, and look after their gut to prevent maybe inflammation or other issues happening later in life. What are the three tips that you would give to that every person? Um, So make sure that you have protein, fat and like vegetables with everything that you eat. Um, So some kind of fiber um, in everything. So breakfast, lunch and dinner and make an effort to have breakfast. Mm. Um, Don't skip breakfast. Um, You know, even if you're like fasting, like don't skip breakfast. If you don't feel hungry in the morning, it's kind of out of habit more so than out of like a lack of desire for food or nutrients from your body first thing in the morning. Um, And I suppose the other thing is like eat as well, like whole foods as you possibly can for the diet or for the budget that you have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether that's buying the vegetables that are on offer in the supermarket that week, but just try to make most of what you eat actual like food that you can say that's a carrot that's some chicken yeah that's some rice yeah exactly and one one habit that we've adopted over the last while that I'm so proud of um (laughs) we're always trying like when we do our food shop to buy as much fruit and veg as we can and we're (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're actually such nerds. Sometimes we cook our dinner and we're like, how many fruit and veg are in the stir fry? And we'll count it out and we'll be like, yay. Um, but what can happen when you are, say, you change up your sh- your shop a little bit and you make some swaps, you're buying more fruit and veggies. It can go off, obviously, really easily. Mm. And I know that is a concern for some people. So you can freeze your fruit and veg. Like, it's totally fine. The nutritional value still remains to a degree. It's 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 better than throwing it out, obviously, as well. So that's definitely um that's definitely an option. Um if someone is now listening and they feel like they do have a gut-related issue, what would you say they should do? Um, so write down a list of how you feel um when you feel it. So like If you are always bloated in the evening, write that down. If you eat breakfast and you feel like two hours later, you're like, oh, I feel really tired. Mm. I really want to go to sleep. Write it down. Like keep like a kind of food mood diary. So when you have gut issues, like we talked about, it doesn't always immediately happen in your stomach. It might happen with your energy or with your mood or with like joint pain or something. So keep a good like list of what's happening um, and then talk to somebody. So like reach out to a nutritional therapist or speak to if you have a really good doctor, speak to them Um, go and like do something about it as soon as you possibly can, because mm-hmm. chances are it's not going to get better by itself. You can't walk it off. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's great advice. Um, the diary is key as well, because you know yourself, sometimes you can just forget um, 
you forget when things happen or how they felt or how regular they might have been, you know. Yeah, it allows you to connect the dots. I think you can very quickly see the foods that just don't agree with you. Yeah. And it's easy to have one good day or one good week and kind of go, oh, my, Mm. my symptoms are gone. I'm fine. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah. they come back the following week. I know. I just think there is there is a lot of people out there who have their their mild symptoms, but they're living with them for a long period mm-hmm. of time, and they can get by. So they're they're surviving, but long term these can turn into bigger issues. And we mm-hmm. see the rise. It's not to scare people, but like but you mm-hmm. see the rise in chronic disease. Like it's just the graph is going one way, um, and a lot of stuff. Uh, emanates from the gut so it's it's really trying to get get a handle on that mm-hmm. but I think there's some very useful stuff there on what people can look out for to improve that weekly shop I heard recently um, a functional medicine doctor in the States and he was asked at a conference um, what's the first question that he asks his patients um, you know when you're doing your questionnaire or your trying to get their information about their diet and what's the most important one. And he said, it's what day do you do your shop on? So if someone can answer and they say, oh, Sunday, oh, I always do it on Monday. The chances of them being healthier and having a healthier diet is far exceeds anything else because they they go to the shop. By going to the shop, they'll have done a list but that means they'll cook for themselves and there's a bit of structure around their week where if someone is just buying stuff on the fly, they're likely to go for that quick microwave meal and they're not buying, they're not stacking their trolley with all that fruit and veg. So it's definitely a good habit, I think. I thought it was a very interesting question um, to ask, but it's it can say a lot. Of, it can really set you up for good habits if you put structure around when you do your shop and uh, p- really plan out your week. Absolutely. And there are a lot of people who live at home with their parents as adults now as well. So I do always ask them, like, who does the shopping? <laughs> so are you going as well? Or is it something that you've given back control of? Um, and like, do you want to regain control of that too? Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. So I remember when I lived at home with my parents and um, oh, like, can't deny such a treat having my dinner cooked for me every day when I come out from work. I'd always ring my mum on the loose and be like, what's for dinner? But um, yeah, there was always that little bit of conflict around like wanting to eat differently or a little bit healthier. Um, But Claire, we're going to finish this podcast like we do every other podcast uh, with a question to you. Um, And that question is around the patient paradox. And the patient paradox to us and what it means to Fergus and I is really trying to answer the question in a world where medicine is becoming more advanced why are people becoming more sick and we'd love to know what you think about that I do think we're overwhelmed in a way that we never were before there is way too much choice there is way too much accessibility of things like sugar and additives in our food than ever before our expectations of what we should be doing in a day and how productive we are is also way way higher we don't have uh, a focus certainly here on preventative medicine either. So by the time you walk into a doctor's office or a consultant's office or a hospital, 
you've already been sick for quite a long time. So we do have this kind of like suck it up um, attitude still, even though, you know, we you might say, oh, we're gone soft or whatever. But I think we do have this tendency to kind of suck it up that like, you know, it's not that bad. It's fine. We kind of gaslight ourselves a little bit and we just kind of go off and go, oh, it's grand. You know, everybody has, you know, bloating. Everybody has mm. PMS. Everybody has whatever. Um, and we try to normalize it because we're just too busy to f- slow down and focus on it and see what's actually really underneath it. Yeah, I just love that word preventative. Like that's something we really need to try ingrain um, into our health service, but just into people's consciousness that, you know, we don't have to wait till we get sick before we can actually look at our diet, look at our lifestyle, look at our stress management. Um, I, I think there is a change, um, uh, a change for the better. But really, let's nip these things in the bud before they become issues. Um, uh, that's that's the that's really the approach of functional lifestyle medicine, um, using lifestyle to prevent these problems before you actually end up in the in the health service uh, trying to get better. Claire O'Brien, thank you so much for your time. Thanks that was such you. a lovely conversation. Um, we could, could have probably talked for another two hours, but um, we'll leave it at that. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Claire. you so much for having me. That's great. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to connect with Claire, you'll find her at honestgoodness.ie or on Instagram at honestgoodnessnutrition. See you next time.